0: Talk about bad out of hell this week on this was a thing. thing. Do you remember Patty vs. Kidnapping? This was a thing. Pretty much, Atari, Deep Throat Roots and Ted Bundy, Hanoi Jane, Celebrity Bullying. That was a thing. Bobby, Fischer Blackouts, Benny Hill and Paul, and Dolly and Marie, Rich Little and Billy Jean King. This was a thing.
1: Hi, I'm Rob. And I'm Ray. And you're listening to This Was a Thing, the podcast that dives deep into the cultural happenings of yesteryear.
2: Now, this week, we're looking at Meatloaf and Jim Steinman's classic album, Bat Out of Hell. Now, this was a thing because it was an album that was finally made after so many people had turned them down for being too... Out there, an album that was finally produced because it seemed like a parody of Bruce Springsteen, an album that may be one of the greatest albums start to finish ever, an album that got, quote, a medley of the most brutal rejections you could imagine, and an album that was supposed to sound like a movie, all at a runtime of 46 minutes and 25 seconds. That's intense. Now, this album has <laughs> proven to be more profitable than Thriller in the long run. Really? Yeah, when all is said and done, when all the numbers are crunched, artists are paid, and the bottom line is calculated. It's more profitable because it didn't cost very much to make and the numbers were huge. It ended up being 14 times platinum. I absolutely love this album. It's it's epic in scale. It was written by someone with a background in musical theater and sung we by a man that. with a background in musical theater. So the epicness is understandable. And I'm going to say epic a lot because it's just a great way to describe this. Friends, take a shot every time Ray says epic. Unless
1: you're driving. Yeah, yeah. Then pull over, take a shot, Please. and then get back on the road. Now,
2: Just kidding. No, just kidding. Just kidding. This episode is being released on October 11th, which actually is the 45th anniversary of the album's release. It's a wonderful coming-of-age rock opera that goes from the grand in scale to a piano-driven ballad to rock-driven guitar riffs. It never takes itself too seriously while taking itself completely serious. Mm. It's some of the most passionate lyrics ever written, all while being tongue-in-cheek and over-the-top. It's a mixed bag, it is.
0: It's a mixed bag, it is. That's
2: what I needed, the voice with it, thank you.
0: And the album
2: itself isn't just amazing, but the story behind it is just so interesting. Get ready for a ride. Before we get into the album, we have to talk about the two men most responsible for the album, singer Meatloaf and songwriter Jim Steinman. Marvin Lee Aday was born in Dallas, Texas, on September 27, 1947. Aday said that when he was born, he was bright red and stayed that way for days, and that his father said he looked like nine pounds of ground chuck, and convinced hospital staff to put the name Meat on his crib. He was later called ML in reference to his initials, Marvin Lee, but when his weight increased and his 7th grade classmates referred to him as Meatloaf because of him being five foot two and 240 pounds. Meatloaf didn't have the easiest life growing up. His father was medically discharged from the army during World War II after being wounded by mortar shell fragments. Uh, his father also was an alcoholic, would go on day-long binges. Meatloaf would drive around Dallas with his mother searching the local bars for his father. Now, at Thomas Jefferson High School, Meatloaf appeared in productions of Where's Charlie. I love Where's Charlie. And the Music Man. (gasps) So yeah, he did productions in high school, but he also played defensive tackle for the school's football team. Troy Bolton before Troy Bolton. Yes. Now he'd go to college at North Texas State University, now University of North Texas. Now sadly, when Meatloaf was 19, his mother passed away from cancer. Shortly thereafter, his father attacked him, falsely accusing him of having a girl in his bedroom. So after this, Meatloaf took the money he inherited from his mother and moved to an apartment in Dallas where he'd isolate himself from the world for three and a half years, just sitting, being with himself. meatloaf would ignore the vietnam draft notice he gained 60 pounds intentionally in hopes of failing his physical yeah that's what i did to avoid the draft that's i
1: I gained 60 pounds folks and i'm worried it might come back at some point so i keep the weight on you know (laughs)
2: He caught a flight to Los Angeles because it was time for a change. He found work as a bouncer and formed his first band, Meatloaf Soul. Now, they'd find some success opening for acts like The Who, The Stooges, MC5, Grateful Dead, and they'd see constant lineups, and Meatloaf said that he felt like a circus clown during this period. Now, Meatloaf got some exposure, and he would uh, end up joining the Los Angeles production of the mega rock hit, Hair. Now he was in the original Los Angeles production of Hair Got signed to Motown Records with his fellow hair performer Sean Stoney Murphy Two would release one album called Stoney and Meatloaf Which I think I had that night many a times in college (laughs) The single What You See Is What You Get reached number 71 on Billboard Top 100 After disagreements with Motown, Meatloaf would leave the label Now after appearing off-Broadway in the show Rainbow in 1972, you know that one? I do He joined the Broadway cast of Hair then Uh, He'd go on to appear in a public theater's production of More Than You Deserve Do you know that one I don't story is set in the United States Army base in Vietnam during the Vietnam War Major Michael Dillon Gwynn who is impotent falls in love with a reporter sent to cover the camp who turns out to be a nymphomaniac when she is gang raped by the other soldiers in the camp however she realizes at the end she will be happier giving up her newfound love for sex to settle down with the impotent commander what the hell is this Who wrote this? I'll tell you. Music and lyrics were written by a guy that would be very influential in Meatloaf's life. The composer of the show was a guy named Jim Steinman. Now, at Meatloaf's audition, the two connected over the fact that Steinman was a fan of Stoney and Meatloaf. This connection would go on to be very important. Like I said, Steinman remembered, Meat was the most mesmerizing thing I'd ever seen. He was much bigger then. He was fucking huge. And since I grew up loving German composer Richard Wagner, all my heroes were larger than life. His eyes went into his head like he was transfixed. At the audition, he sang, You gotta give your heart to Jesus. I can seem arrogant at times because I'm certain of things. And I was certain of him. Wow, shit, this is Jim Steinman. Jim Steinman. Steinman demanded that Meatloaf be cast, and then he rewrote the part for him. Steinman said Meatloaf stopped the show every night. We moved to a bigger theater, and people would actually stand up in the middle of the play and say, More! I've never seen that before or since. I mean, and that's the thing, is you watch... They did some, like, promotional videos for Bad Out of Hell, and it's like, the dude is... It, incredible performer and like his size I mean it's just it's a massive it's, it's energy a, it's a ma exactly Steinman also said Meatloaf was an absolutely mesmerizing wonderful presence his pupils would roll up into his head and you'd see the whites of his eyes and his hands would clutch it was really powerful and he was extraordinary as a performer when he's at his best he ranks among the three or four greatest I've ever seen in my life this is Meatloaf remembering him auditioning for Jim
3: throwing down audition for Steinman he said, wait here, brought in 40 people. I sing about four notes. Joe Pap had a manuscript, and in the script was one song, which wasn't in the script but was added, which was Simon. And it was the first time I ever got a standing ovation for anything, and the first time that any Jim Simon song, had got that that kind of reaction.
2: Now, Meatloaf continued his theatrical success appearing in Shakespeare in the Park production of As You Like It, starring Roald Julia and Mary Beth Hunt in the summer of 1973. Uh, The next thing Meatloaf was cast in would be the thing that started to change his life. He got cast in the original Los Angeles Roxy Theater production of The Rocky Horror Show in 1974. Now, record producer Lou Adler brought the show over to the U.S. after seeing it in England. Meatloaf would play the roles of Eddie and Dr. Everett Scott to much acclaim. This would lead to the cult classic film the Rocky Horror Picture Show released on August 14th 1975 where Meatloaf would play only the role of Eddie. A year before, in 1974, songwriter Jen Steinman, remember I told you not to forget his name, (laughs) was developing a futuristic rock musical called Neverland, which was a retelling of Peter Pan, you know, which everyone wants. It was later performed at the Kennedy Center Music Theater Lab in 1977, but it didn't do much after that. In 1975, Meat and Steinman would find themselves working together again, but this time on the National Lampoon Show tour. Three of the songs from Steinman's Neverland musical were used in the show, and uh, Meat and Steinman thought that they were exceptional. Now, the songs were Heaven Can Wait, Formation of the Pag, and a little song called Bat Out of Hell. Now, Steinman had been working on the theater scene for a bit and was getting disillusioned by it, especially after having success performing in New York clubs with Meatloaf, a time where Meatloaf says it, it, they really tore it up. Now, Steinman wanted to get into rock and roll, describing the typical theater audience as old people. And their parents. He was even working with famed theater producer Joseph Papp at the time. You know Joe Papp? Joseph Papp was huge. Yeah, he helped transfer Chorus Line to Broadway, among many other things. But that was, I think, probably probably one of the Shakespeare things in he did. the Park yeah Shakespeare in the Park was a thing the big thing that he did oh my too. god he was massive yeah, so yeah. Jim Steinman was like his protege yeah. and Jim Steinman was still not wanting to do the theater scene mm. which is he was working with one of the greatest at the time and still so I'll take the job Jim yeah <laughs> give him my resume Meeting and Jim would end up performing in clubs and getting their set in order the seven songs set that would end up being the album so they would just perform the album from beginning to end in clubs and people would love it they spent a lot of 1975 writing and recording material to take around and show to different record executives. Now, this is from Classic Rock Magazine. The process of landing a deal for the completed songs was to prove even more torturous than the conception, which itself took two years. Styman and Meatloaf would make appointments at record companies, and then Stymon would take a seat at the piano and play the entire album in sequence, while 300 pounds of Meatloaf sang along, and sometimes Ellen Foley would accompany them to perform the duet Paradise but the Dashboard Life. Now, Ellen Foley worked with Meat and Jim on the National Lampoon Show, so... Work with people you know. Now, aside from the bizarre spectacle of the pair presented, the music was unlike anything anyone had ever heard before. This is a clip of Steinman and manager David Sonnenberg talking about the rejection they faced while trying to get their album to a record label.
4: And so we thought we had enough material, so then that's when we started making rounds at the record companies. And that was a true disaster. That was like about a year of the most like a medley of the most brutal rejections you can imagine.
1: And 74 and 75, I think we were rejected by 5,000 record companies. They actually opened up some record companies for the sole purpose of rejecting us.
2: Meatloaf almost cracked when CBS executive Clive Davis rejected the project. Now, Clive Davis is a legend in the music industry, having signed the likes of Janis Joplin, Bruce Springsteen, Billy Joel, Ace of Bass, Whitney Houston, Barry Manilow, and of course... Tony Orlando. According to Meatlo's Autobiography to Helen Back, Davis commented that actors don't make records and challenged Steinman's writing abilities and knowledge of rock music. Quote, Do you know how to write a song? Do you know anything about writing? If you're gonna write for records it goes like this. A, B, C, B, C, C. I don't know what you're doing. You're doing A, D, F, G, B, D, C. You don't know how to write a song. Have you ever listened to pop music? Have you ever heard any rock and roll music? You should go downstairs when you leave here and buy some rock rock and roll records. Now, that was from Clive Davis. It's a pretty bad review. Pretty bad review. Steinman laughed off at the results, but Meatloaf screamed, Fuck you, Clive! from the streets up to the building. Jim Steinman said, All I can say is thank God we knew nothing about making albums because otherwise it couldn't have happened. I wanted to make an album that sounded like a movie. I love that. Yeah, all the rejections and he still stuck to his guns. He said, this is the album I know I want to make. Now, someone that would like what he heard was Todd Rundgren. You may know Todd Rundgren from this song. Todd much more than that song, though. Other hits include Hello, It's Me and I Saw the Light. He was one of the first acts that was both a recording artist and record producer, which is, you know, common now. After hearing them perform Bad Out of Hell, Rungren said, I've got to do this album. It's just so out there. He found the album hilarious, thinking it was a parody of Bruce Springsteen's wildly popular album Born to Run. Lengthy piano-based songs from Steinman like Bat Out of Hell and For Crying Out Loud were similar in idea to Springsteen's Jungle Land and Thunder Road. Steinman always says that he finds this comparison puzzling musically, although they share influences. He says Springsteen was more of an inspiration than an influence. Now, Rundgren said in a 2009 Mojo magazine article, Jim Steinman still denies that record has anything to do with Springsteen, but I saw it as a spoof. You take all the trademarks, overlong songs, teenage angst, handsome loner, and turn them upside down. So we made these epic songs full of these silly puns that Steinman loves. If Bruce Springsteen can take it over the top, Meatloaf can take it five stories higher than that. And at the same time, he's this big, sweaty, unappealing character. I should also mention that upon their initial meeting with Rundgren, Meet and Jim told them that they had a contract with RCA Records subsidiary, Utopia Records. Which they did not. So they said that they, Liars. Yeah, so they were looking to get a producer saying, Yeah, we have a contract, and then they got one of the best producers out there, but they didn't have a contract. Rungren took Meet and Jim up to Woodstock in New York State to Bearsville Studios to play on the album. Rungren turned to his members of his band. He was in Utopia, no connection to Utopia Records. Cassim Sultan on bass, Roger Powell on synthesizer, and Willie Wilcox on drums. That's such a good name. Willie Wilcox
0: on drums.
2: That's gonna go to your name collection. All right,
0: on the skins, Willie Wilcox. Alright.
2: Even Edgar Winner Came on to play saxophone On the song All Rubbed Up Edgar Winner Is a legend And he is just This four-season. He's, al- he's albino So he has this Long yes, white hair yeah. But like he just plays And it's just He's just so good Just to further add Fuel to the Born to Run Comparison uh, Fire rungren brought in Two members of Springsteen Band The E Street Band Keyboardist R- Roy Bitten And drummer Max Weinberg Max Weinberg Conan Yep you may recognize The name from NBC Conan O'Brien Related shows He was the leader of the Max Weinberg 7, Rungren would play guitar on the album, which is something that would end up making the album that much better. Now, I'm going to go over some of the songs with you and the stories behind them. Now, I won't play clips from all of them, but I'll tell stories. There's only seven tracks, so I'll just kind of bring them down. Now, track one, Bad Out of Hell, is nearly 10 minutes epic song, the result of Steinman's desire to write, quote, the most extreme crash song of all time. The song Bad Out of Hell also has what I consider one of the greatest rock intros of all time, if I'm being honest. the song may be... In my top five songs ever written, the song itself, I think it is... got out of hell. From beginning to end, it is such a full story, and just, I love it. Here's a clip of Steinman talking about how he came up with the idea for the intro.
4: I know this, that it started, I know, I just remembered one thing. I was with Meatloaf when he was doing Rocky Horror Show in L.A., writing. I was out there, and um, one of the songs I was doing with him was a new version of Jailhouse Rock. And that's where the intro came from. I just actually remember that that this was jail, you can actually tell us jailhouse rock. It's a variation, but when the two party in the county jail, everyone's dancing. They began to, win. you know what I mean? It's that same, you know, that jailhouse rock has. And that started as the new jailhouse rock we were going to do, which is a wild jailhouse rock. We gave up a jailhouse rock, but I kept that because uh, I like that. <laughs> and that turned. and Then I added the fast riff, which I can't play on this piano because the piano is too retarded and slow. But it. I couldn't even take it on this. It's not fast enough. The piano alone,
2: when I like her yes, it's just yeah. it's just crazy like that's a this is a rock album and it's just that's how it starts off and it's one of those songs that you hear that and you go oh I know what I'm in for it's just so good while recording they just couldn't get the right sound they wanted for the guitar solo on the opening track Rungren stepped in and uh, really took it to the next level using only his guitar Rungren was able to make the sound of a motorcycle revving its engine then went on to shred the shred of shreds man is brilliant. Both Simon and Rungren were influenced by Phil Spector's Wall of Sound recording technique. Now, I'm not going to get into what an awful person Phil Spector is, but I will quickly go into Wall of Sound because it's extremely important to the history of recording music. The intention of Wall of Sound to exploit the possibilities of studio recording to create an unusually dense orchestral aesthetic that came across well through radios and jukeboxes of the era. It was a different way of recording, which seemed to work with Bat Out of Hell because everyone behind the making of the album were also, in fact, different. Like, you know, wall, uh, wall of Sound. According to Meatloaf, Rungrun put all the arrangements together because although Jim could hear all the instruments in his head, Simon hummed rather than orchestrated. So mm. I feel like it's like Mel Brooks. Yes, yes. Track two, he took the words right out of my mouth, is musically inspired by the rock chords of the Who's Baba O'Reilly with a Phil Spector-style medley on top. Simon said that it was basic power chords he was going for. It's
4: funny because it doesn't really sound like a Specter's thing, but I was thinking very basics. So, one of the most basic things for rock and roll, which to me was more the Who, was power chords, and uh, that's in the Who for My Generation and Won't Get Fooled Again. I just love, uh, not necessarily those particular ones, but that's the basic idea, power chords. And somehow that became, with an added melody in the right hand, Sort of specterish when you added a...
2: For the third track, Heaven Can Wait, Steinman used a song from his Neverland musical. It was a song originally sung by Wendy in the show. It's basically only piano and vocals, which Steinman described as wanting to sound like a music box. Now, track four, All Revved Up with No Place to Go, was one of the only songs on the album that was mostly arranged by Rundgren. Here's Steinman remembering when the recording happened.
4: I was actually in bed. I remember I couldn't do anything, and I remember Meatloaf coming up saying, Jimmy, Jimmy, and he's like pulling me out of the bed. He says, get out of the bed. Todd's ruining the song. He's ruining it. He's ruining He's going to ruin it. Come, Jimmy, come on. Because Meatloaf did all this other stuff, and it was so, you know, it was like the others. It was a big elaborate epic. And Todd probably smartly said, do they all have to be big elaborate epics? Can't we have one that's just a song, a four-minute rock and roll song? And I probably said. Oh, I want an epic! I want an epic! And I remember me trying to pull me out of the bed. I said, I can't, man, I can't. I said, but he's going to ruin it. And it was pretty much Todd's range, and it's brilliant. I mean, it's a great range, and he's probably right. Track five, the
2: song Two Out of Three Ain't Bad, was written in direct response to actress Mimi Kennedy challenging him. In 2003 interview for VH1 Ultimate Album Series, Steinman recalled, I remember Mimi Kennedy, a cast member of Jim's then current musical, Rheingold, when I was probably complaining why no one liked my stuff and couldn't get a deal, she says, well, Steinie, your stuff is so complicated. Can't you write something simple? And while she was saying that, the oldie station was on the radio and was playing the old Elvis song, I want you, I need you. Whatever it was. I want you, I need you, I love you. You know, I just started singing my own song, but it wasn't I want you, I need you, I love you. She said, why don't you write something simple like that? I want you, I need you, I love you? I said, well, I'll try. I don't try to make them complicated. I remember going home and tried so hard, but the best I could do was, I want you, I need you, but there ain't no way I'm ever gonna love you. But don't be sad, cause two out of three ain't bad. It was still a twist, but it was my closest to a simple song and one that Elvis could have done.
4: And all I can do
0: is keep on
2: It's a great song. It's a great song. Rungbren would say that the song was also influenced by the Eagles, who were very popular at the time. And this song was actually the one that would be considered the, quote, pop single for the album. So this was the one that kind of was the, the one that was playing on the radio and stuff. Now, track six is probably one of the most known from the album, Paradise by the Dashboard Light. Now, this song is the bop of bops. Now, when you explain the idea for the song, it sounds odd. Steinman stated that he wanted to write, quote, the ultimate car sex song in which everything goes horribly wrong in the end. Now, this song takes listeners on a journey. The song's broken down into three parts. First is Paradise. The song opens with a male and female character reminiscing about their days as a high school couple on a date. They are parked by a lake and having fun, experiencing, quote, paradise by the dashboard light until the young male character insists that they, quote, go all the way tonight. You know what that means, Rob? They're probably going to drive a distance. (laughs) Second is the baseball section slash let me sleep on it. Meatloaf's character advances are mirrored by New York Yankees announcer Phil Scooter Rizzuto broadcasting a portion of a baseball game that serves as a metaphor for Meatloaf's characters attempting to achieve his goal. I love a metaphor. Just as the male character is about to score, the female character interjects, telling him to stop right there. She refuses to go any further unless the male character first promises to love her forever and marry her. Oh, yeah. Meatloaf's character finally offers his promise. I start swearing to my god and my mother's grave that I would love you till the end of time. I swore! (laughs) The third and final section, praying for the end of time. Back in the present time, both characters express how each can no longer stand the other one, remaining true to the vow he made on that night in the past. He is now praying for the end of time to arrive to relieve him from this obligation. That is marriage This is the couple in the car Yeah now they're They're adults and married Because Ooh. he So he could He could go all the way You he promised her to love her Till the end of time And it was He said it's the worst decision Of his life Them, Brenda and Eddie From <laughs> Billy Joel's, They should all go into Couples counseling Oh that would be great So now- Love this song. Oh my god, I love this song. Now, it gradually fades out, blending is gloomy. It was a long ago, it was far away, it was so much better than it was today. With her nostalgic, it never felt so good, it never felt so right. We were glowing like the metal on the edge of a knife. Mm. So, it lasting a total of eight minutes and 28 seconds, it's a whole story folks whole story and i love it
1: you surprised something can last eight minutes and 20 seconds right well that
2: too now track seven which is the closer is for crying out loud and it's the perfect epic song saying epic again to close out this perfect epic saying epic again album
3: for coming to my room when you know i'm alone for finding me a highway for driving
0: me home That I serve you for pulling me away when I'm starting to fall, for wrapping me up when I'm starting to stall.
2: For such an elaborate record, Steinman says that they weren't drawn from personal experiences. He says, I never thought of them as personal songs in terms of my own life, but they were personally songs. They were all about my obsessions and images. None of them take place in a normal world. They all take place in an extreme world, very operatic. They were all heightened. They don't take place in normal reality. An example of this while discussing the narrative of Paradise by the Dashboard Light, Todd Rundgren joked that he can't imagine Steinman being at a lakeside with the most beautiful girl in school, but he can't imagine Steinman imagining it. (laughs) This is deep. Back to school! Backpack! Lockers! Lockers to hide in.
1: Speaking of school, what's the biggest lesson you ever learned? Hmm... To subscribe to Patreon
2: to help keep this show on the air. I learned that in economics. Ooh, I was sick that day. How do I subscribe? Well, to be one of the cool kids, become one of our Patreon supporters and help keep this show on the air. Head on over to Patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, and search for This Was a Thing, and set a monthly donation, even a dollar a month, helps us. Your contributions help continue doing what we're doing. Good to know. Well, I'm going to subscribe, then get a note to get out of P.E. Rob! I have moderate to severe plaque psoriasis. Oh. So the production, there was a lot going on. So while the album was being produced, Rundgren found out that they lied to him about the RCA contract and uh, realizing that he had no financial backing, Rundgren would end up paying for the whole album himself. Ooh, 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 yeah. Ooh. The Bearsville label offered to release it, but needed more money to do so. Moe Austin at Warner Brothers was impressed, but other senior people rejected him after they performed it live for them. So. That makes sense. That's when another member of Bruce Springsteen's E Street Band stepped in to help. So another connection to okay. the E Street Band. Stephen. Van Zandt, a.k.a. Little Steven. You yes! Might, you might know him from his acting. He played character uh, Silvio Dante in The Sopranos, one of Tony's main guys. Little Steven and manager David Sonnenberg took it to Cleveland International Records, which was a subsidiary of Epic Records. They had a label. Now, Rungren initially mixed the record in One Night. However, some of the mixes were unsuitable to the extent that Meatloaf didn't want Paradise on the dashboard light on the album. So the, really? Yeah, so it was he didn't even want it on the album. Like, the most epic song. After several attempts by several people, John Jansen, who had with everyone from Alice Cooper to Joe Cocker, mix a version of Paradise by the Dashboard Light that's on the album, along with All Rubbed Up with No Place to Go. According to Meatloaf, he, Janiton, and Steinman mixed the title track, so bringing in some fresh fresh ears and stuff helped make the album what it is. Jimmy Iovine, who would mix Bruce Springsteen's Born to Run, remix Two Out of Three Ain't Bad. He would later go on to found Beats Electronic with Dr. Dre, and they would then sell the company to Apple for a cold $3 billion. $3
0: billion? Yeah.
2: (laughs) This epic. Epic album needed an epic cover, right? Now, they turned to artist Richard Corbin whose comics had appeared in Heavy Metal Magazine. Heavy Metal Magazine very, was very big in the 70s and 80s. The cover is of a long-haired man riding a motorcycle that's bursting out of the ground in a graveyard. The background is a mausoleum with a huge bat perched on top. Just, I mean, you definitely look at this and go, well, there's this is going to be a different album. Steinman wanted equal billing for the album. He wanted it to be called Jim Steinman Presents or Jim and Meat, or Meet and Jim. The record company had other ideas. Because Meatloaf was more of a recognizable name, they made him the headliner, but they compromised by prominently featured songs by Jim Steinman on the cover, so he at least kind of got that. But, spoiler, this is said to have been the beginning of the decline between Meat and Jim. Oh no. From conception to release, the album took four years, but on October 21st, 1977, Bad Out of Hell was released by Cleveland International. Their parent company, Epic Records, hated the album, but Steve Popovich, the man behind the signing, was always its cheerleader, response to the album was slow. Todd Rundgren says that it was under-promoted, having a reputation of being damaged goods because it had been walked around by so many places. So, all these people were like, oh, yeah. It's already got a reputation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was that one. That was that big guy and the guy on the piano. You know what I mean? And you don't forget that. You know, when you have a 46-minute album played front to back, two people, you go, well, that was memorable. Meatloaf and his backup band would start touring around to promote the album. They recorded some music videos to coincide with the release. Dave Marsh from Rolling Stone magazine called the song Swell, but entirely mannered and derivative. He said that Meatloaf's theatrical voice was outstanding, but his phrasing was too stage struck. Quote, he needs a little less West Side Story and a little more Springsteen. How dare you, sir? Who said that? Dave Marsh from Rolling Stone. Dave, uh, please reach out. I'd have some questions. Fame music critic Robert Christgau had this to say about the album in his Consumer's Guide to Music book. Occasionally, it seems that horrified, contemptuous laughter is exactly the reaction this production team's intends. And it's even possible that 2% of the audience will get the joke. But the basic effect is grotesquely grandiose. Bruce Springsteen, beware. This is what you wrought. And it could happen to you. C minus. C minus for a bat out of hell? Yeah, C minus. Six months after its release, The Old Grey Whistle Test, which was a show on BBC television in Britain, decided to air a clip that the live band performed the nine-minute title track, Bat Out of Hell. The response was so immediate and overwhelming that they played it again the following week. This is from Classic Rock Magazine. As a result, Bat became an unfashionable, uncool, non-radio record that became the must-have for everyone who heard it, whether they got Steinman's unique perspective or not. Now, in North America, it wasn't taking off as quickly. Steve Popovich and his partner started heavy promotion for the the album and it would get some airplay in omaha cleveland and new york so only three markets at the time new york was big but still omaha and cleveland wow according to popovich by the end of the year the album had sold 140,000 copies but that wasn't enough to get epic behind it now popovich said in a letter to his boss some of your guys have given up our neighbors up north were a little bit different. Now, CBS Canada's director of marketing, Graham Powers, was a fan of the album and heard that the programming director of CHU-FM, Warren Cosford, was a fan of Phil Spector's wall of sound recording style. Powers suggested to Cosford that he listen to the Bad Out of Hell album over the holiday break. Because nothing says holiday like Bad Out of Hell. Exactly. Cosford listened to it and loved it. Now, the first day after New Year's, he called a music meeting. Everyone in the meeting agreed that not only should they add Bad Out of Hell, but put it in heavy rotation for a week to gauge audience response. Graham Powers said tackling the meatloaf campaign was different from handling most other CBS international acts in that there was no prior stateside success to refer to. The album was doing virtually nothing in the U.S. and subsequently had to be approached as a totally new project in Canada with a marketing campaign developed from scratch. Meatloaf played a show At Toronto Theatre Called El Macambo. Oh I love El Macambo. Well the show Caused a riot Because of this All the press in town Wanted to talk to him This would lead to A major following In Toronto Now the show At the El Macambo Was recorded And immediately Pressed to disc Called Meatloaf Live At the El Macombo It was distributed To stations Throughout North America Even more exposure And the album Is on YouTube And it's a really Good live album So it went from We have one album That we don't want To promote To oh my god we can get a live album that we can press and release at the same time and sell two albums smart at the same it's time. So smart now to Hell has sold over forty three million copies worldwide. It was certified 14 times platinum by the Recording Industry Association of America, R-A-A-A. It is the best-selling album in Australia. As of June 2019, it spent 522 weeks in the UK Albums Chart, the second longest chart run by a studio album. The album was also included in the book 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. Now, the album helped launch Jim Steinman's songwriting career as well. Besides Meatloaf, he's probably most remembered for his work with Bonnie Tyler. Uh, I don't know, maybe you've heard this song?
0: I can
2: do a total eclipse of the high or do you know this one? <laughs> Anyway, you can totally hear the epic, huge music that Steinman became known for. Meatloaf says that the expectations to have a follow-up as good as bad as hell got to him. He said that Jim wasn't as affected as he was by the stress. Then in 1983, Meatloaf was sued for $85 million by Jim and former manager David Sonnenberg over album profits. They felt they deserved more for all the albums that they'd been sold. This resulted in Meatloaf having to file for bankruptcy and losing the rights to his songs. Jim wrote the songs. It just seems very convoluted. Seven years later, in December 1990, Meat and Jim had a reconciliation. They felt like it was finally time for a follow-up album. They got to work. On September 14th, 1993, almost 16 years after the original, Bad Out of Hell 2, Back Into Hell, was released. What year? 1993. Okay, Bad Out of Hell 2. Never, uh, I didn't even know there was a sequel. Oh, yeah. Well, you're going to know one of the songs from it. Rungren came back to arrange all the background vocals for this album. So Rungren came back it's a reunion, to, kids. Yeah, to do his part. Well, it would end up selling 15 million albums worldwide, go all the way to number one spot in australia 14 times platinum u.s five times platinum uk six times platinum and canada nine times platinum but never
1: visa platinum no, and that was a problem
2: it would also stupid it would also give Meet and jim a single that went to number one in 28 countries what yep the jam i'd do anything for love but i won't do that that's from this album yep No, <laughs> Meat would put out another album two years later with two songs by Jim. Meat also started to act in more films, including the 1999 film Fight Club, where he plays Bob.
4: My name is Bob. Bob. Bob had been a champion bodybuilder. You know that chest expansion program you see on late night TV? That was his idea.
0: I was a juicer. You know, using
4: steroids. Dihabinol and... With Oh, they used that on race horses for Christ's sakes. And now I'm bankrupt. I'm divorced.
0: My two grown kids won't even return my phone calls.
2: Meatloaf was asked once if he thought that Jim was jealous that Meatloaf got most of the exposure from Bad a Hell album. Meat responded by saying there's not much that he can do about it. Quote, why do you think Jimmy still wears all that gear? It's like, you get U2, you get Aerosmith, you get Steinman. You get these guys, they dress the part, they want to get noticed. Whereas me, I cut my hair. I got these suits. People think I'm a friggin' accountant when I walk in the room now. (laughs) Now, in 2001, Meat and Jim are said to have been writing another album. Then in 2004, Jim suffered some health setbacks. Meat says that... Quote, lawyers worked for over a year putting together a contract for Steinman to do Bad at a Hell 3. It was one of the best producers' contracts in history of the record business. Ultimately, according to the singer, Steinman was not well enough to work on such an intense project and made what he calls a, quote, selfish decision to go ahead without him. In promotional interviews, he said that he he did not want to wait a year and a half just to find out that Steinman was still unfit. Describing himself as a really loyal person, Meat said that the decision was not to use Steinman has taken a toll on me. Now, in 2006, Jim's manager David Sonnenberg said, "Jim's health is excellent. That's not the reason he didn't participate in Bat Three. He had some meaningful health problems about four years ago, but he's been totally healthy the last couple of years. His health has no way impacted his involvement in the Bat Out of Hell project. So there ended up being development project due to Jim registering the trademark Bat Out of Hell in 1995. This resulted in Meat suing Jim and his manager for 50 million dollars to prevent further use by the writer producer. Meat said that he contributed." Attributed to the lyrics of "Battered a Hell" and that he had used the phrase for years on tours. And Jim never cared about it before. Meat attributed it to the recent falling out between the two. I can't even tell you how many falling outs these two have had. I feel like I probably missed one, but it just—I'm sure, yeah. There was just so many back and forth, and it just seems like they were just two brilliant people that just clashed but knew how to make an amazing you know an amazing product but just Did they the say clash about us between. yeah exactly oh god oh jesus christ now an agreement was reached in the summer of 2006 according to virgin which was the label releasing bat three the two came to an amicable agreement that ensured that jim's diamond music would be a continuing part of the bat Out of hell legacy it's
1: nice that they get to work together again
2: jim wasn't involved in the recording of the album at all but it does include seven of his songs five of them covers of previous releases released songs. Bat Out of Hell 3, The Monster Is Loose was released on October 20th, 2006. Rungren came back again to arrange vocals on three tracks, saying, continuity is an important thing. So it's kind of cool that he at least came back, although he later said that his contributions were mostly peripheral. The album debuted at number eight on the Billboard 200, but fell at 60 in three weeks. Uh, it sold 81,000 copies in its first week, which was Meat's best opening since Bat 2. The legal agreement Meat and Jim came to enable Jim to work on a musical theater project based on all the songs from Batted of Hell, describing the project as, quote, Cirque du Soleil on acid. Now, this was in September 2007. Ten years later, on February 7th, 2017, it of Hell the musical opened at the Manchester Opera House. Jim's magnum opus was finally happening. Now, at one point, Meat said of the possibility of Bat becoming a musical, it never happened as a stage show. Well... Jim proved him wrong. Bad at Hell, the musical, is very loose retelling of Peter Pan, set in a post-apocalyptic Manhattan, which is now called Obsidian. It features songs from all three Bad albums, has toured the U.S. and U.K., played in London, Toronto, New York, and is opening in Las Vegas at the Paris and features my little brother, Shout Out Joe, yes. just got cast in it. Hell yeah! It makes me very excited because I love this sh- album and just so cool. Meat and Jim didn't have the best health later on in life. In 2003, Meatloaf was diagnosed with Wolf-Parkinson-White Syndrome, a condition Marked by an extra electrical pathway in his heart, which caused symptoms like a rapid heartbeat, which Ooh. is not good for a man. Big. B- that's big yeah. in 2004 jim had a stroke that temporarily left him without the ability to speak 2011 meat fainted on stage in pittsburgh due to an asthma attack then in 2016 he collapsed on stage due to dehydration that same year meat had back surgery in 2017 jim had another stroke by 2019 meat was using a cane and a wheelchair to get around just i mean just so sad Sadly, on April 19th, 2021, Jim Steinman died from kidney failure at the Mm. age of 73. Meat reacted to Jim's death by saying, We didn't know each other. We were each other. Mm. Now, in the midst of COVID lockdowns, Meat gave an interview to the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette in August 2021. Sadly, he said, I hug people in the middle of COVID. I understood stopping life for a little while, but they cannot continue to stop life because of politics. He opposed mask mandates and described a person who called for people on airplanes to wear masks as a Nazi and power mad. Meatloaf then said, if I die, I die, but I'm not going to be controlled. Sadly, only five months later, Meatloaf died from what TMZ reported as complications from COVID-19. He was 74. I got to say, after doing all this research and even presenting it now, it's just a real bummer to get to this part <sighs> and remember that he was like a, a big anti-masker, which I think is something that would be perfect to discuss after the break.
0: This was a thing, This was a thing, and,
2: and now, a this is a skin. sketch.
0: Todd! Oh my God, man, that was the most incredible thing I've ever seen or heard. That sounded just like a motorcycle. Of course it did.
1: Well, more specifically, it sounded like a 69 Yamaha AS2C motorcycle.
0: I just can't believe you were able to make that sound with your guitar.
1: I can make all sorts of sounds with my guitar. Gets really lonely on a tour bus meet. Here, check this out. Watch how fast I move my fingers, and you guess what it is.
0: Oh man, that sounds just like a jackhammer! Uh, I didn't even know fingers could move that fast, man. Okay, okay. Can you guess
1: this one? Here, let me turn the treble down.
0: Oh man, sick! That's a fart.
1: No, mean it's it's a Tyberneese bird. They have a very specific mating call.
0: Yes, yeah, sh- yeah, not uh, Yeah, that's cool. i I'm, I'm not really a bird guy. Sure. Okay. Hey, here's another one. That's a fart, Todd. No,
1: it's the turnover of a Python RAV3 convertible. Not everything is a fart, me. Are you sure, man? That, that sounded like a fart, man. No.
0: Oh, okay, you should guess this one. It's a fart. It, I, I know a fart. It, that's, a, that's a fart, Todd. You're screwing with me, man. No, me. come on. I worked hard on this
1: one. It's a 487A motor on a dual yawl with a twin engine.
0: Okay. Uh, all right. I'll take your word for it. Ooh. I'm
1: sorry. I I I had a burrito for lunch.
0: Thank
2: you. This was a sketch. I'm saddened by the man's view on COVID and lack of concern over the virus that killed so many people, including himself. But talking about that takes away from bad out of hell. So yes, Meatloaf said all that stuff, but that doesn't take away from the fact that Jim Steinman is a genius. The passion that Todd Rundgren had for making the album. It's the love of the fans, the epicness of the album itself. The album is one of the albums that I listen to and I feel like I'm having a religious experience. You know what I mean? How you kind of have that and stuff. I I can close my eyes and just enjoy it for the wonder that it is. But because I close my eyes, I avoid listening to it when I drive. I consider it to be on my Desert Island album playlist. Now, top five albums you'd bring with you on a desert island you know, if you were stranded yeah, yeah, there. Yeah. Okay, all you got is room for five CDs, a non skip CD player, headphones, and some extra batteries. Now, I asked you per- to prepare a list. You did, yes. Yeah, I also prepared a list. Now, my list doesn't even include my favorite band, who's Bear vs. Shark. It just had to make some concessions. So, do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? You want to trade off? I do it in alphabetical by artist. Oh, oh not then in let me order. hear yours. Let me hear yours. Abbey Road, Daft Punk Discovery, LCD Sound System, Sound of Silver, Meatloaf Jim Steinman, Bad of Hell. And original Broadway cast, Sweeney Todd. Oh, wow. Yeah. Those are good choices. I had to do Sweeney Todd. And plus it's like a double. Oh, that's it. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, I can't you... have five CDs. Well, I'll get the the condensed
1: one. Good. Smart. Smart, smart. Mine are Billy Joel's Greatest Hits. Okay. Because I love Billy Joel. Uh, Sweeney Todd is also on my list. Oh, nice. Compositions of George Gershwin. Okay. Which is an album, which would have Rhapsody in Blue and an American in Paris on it. TV theme songs. Okay. Volume 8. <laughs> which deals with 70s and 80s.
2: Okay, fair. And then
1: uh, any Bruno Mars CD.
2: Oh, you like Bruno Mars? I do.
1: I find him to be very optimistic.
2: Well, we hope that all of our listeners will drop us a comment letting us know what their Desert Island playlist is. If you can't pick five, let us know your top album. We love the interaction, right, Rob? Yes, we do. And also, le- for me, I'm curious. Let us know.
1: I won't do any. I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that. Nice. What is that, folks? What do you think that is? Yeah. I thought it was a murder, and Ray thought it was pegging. Hey, Rob. Yeah. You want to play a game? Does it involve pegging? No. I want to play a game.
0: This was a thing and now it's a quiz. This is a This Was a Quiz.
4: With Mark Schroeder.
2: So, Mark, you were saying that you are a meatloaf fan. Yes, the food
1: and the artist. Thank you. Exactly. Both wonderful when bacon wrapped. Mm. Oh man.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, toward the end there, the singer Meatloaf looked a little bacon wrapped. No, I'm a big fan. I don't know what it is. It's the, the theatricality of Meatloaf, the teen angst, I think it hit me at the right time, just the over the top. But I was a I was a big fan of Meatloaf in general. What a unique name. Like a Meatloaf, probably one of the most unique food-related names in yes. all of Showbiz. Oh, yeah. Right? But He's not the only one. There are other celebrities out there with with pretty delectable food Mm, names. I like that. So let's find out just how hungry for fame Rob and Ray are with a little game called Celebrity Sustenance. Ooh. So in this game, Rob and Ray will compete against each other. He's on, man. In separate speed rounds, I'm going to read you each a list of clues for celebrities with food-related names. You've tried to get as many right in a certain time limit as possible. The winner gets an extra serving of dinner and the loser forages for table scraps. Ooh. oh jeez all right so you guys can decide who you want to go first. you go first. okay, age over beauty. how civil So you're gonna describe a person? I'm gonna give you a clue for a, for oh, a I see. person okay. yeah for okay. for, a, for a person with a food name. are they fictional too or are they all non-fictional? They are all non okay human beings these people exist or existed. In life at one time or another let's say 45 seconds oh, shit. see how that shakes out and here we go american singer-songwriter whose five studio albums have all reached the us on apple yes oscar emmy golden globe and sag award-winning actress and 2000s bond girl uh, I- Uh, pass. TV regular on Project Runway All-Stars, Charmed, and Who's the Boss? Melissa Milano. Oh, nice. Well-connected actor who made his big-screen debut in 1978's Animal House. Uh, uh, shit, shit, I don't know. We'll pass on that one. Pass, pass. White Christmas leading lady and aunt to George. Uh, Rosemary Clooney? Former Buffalo Bills running back and Hertz Renicar spokesman. O.J. Simpson. John Hughes' repertory staple who died in 1994 at 43. John Candy. Professional boxer who retired in 1997 with a record of 36-3-1. Uh, 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 I don't know. Pass. Fred Astaire's dancing partner. Ginger Rogers. <laughs> MLB slugger who was suspended in 1995 for testing positive for cocaine. Ah, uh, I don't know. And that's the end of it. You got six right. I, uh, set for 45 minutes instead of four and a half <laughs> seconds. So nothing. You missed Holly Berry. Was the Oscar, Emmy, Golden Globe, and... All those awards for Miss Holly Berry. Oscar, Emmy, Golden Globe, and SAG Award. She is great. Uh, You also miss Kevin Bacon, Mm well-connected actor who made his big screen debut in 1978. Well-connected, great. Sugar Ray Leonard was the boxer. Mm -hmm. And Daryl Strawberry was the MLB slugger. Yep, yep, okay. Okay, well, nothing personal, but I uh, will set a... You basically got a minute, so no time limit for you, but I'll get this right for future games. Here we go. English actor and frequent screen villain who has died on screen 24 times. The self-declared mayor of Castro Street. Harvey Milk. Former Secretary of State to George W. Bush. Uh, Condoleezza Rice. Two time Oscar winner and inspiration for the hapless businessman Gil Gunderson on The Simpsons. Uh, pass. Gender bending English actor and singer who is sadly confined to a wheelchair following a 2012 stroke. Pass. Oscar Emmy and SAG Award winning actress who is also a titular Marvel superhero. Uh, 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 uh p- pass. I'm bad at this. Rock and roll pioneer who sang Maybelline. Oh, Chuck Berry. Pick- yeah. Las Vegas residency. Comedian and prop comic since 2005. Carrot Top. This rapper's breakout hit heavily samples Queen's Under Pressure. Vanilla Ice. American singer songwriter, record producer, actress, and model who was also Kobe Bryant's 1996 prom Brandy. Date. Yes. And I think you both tie with six. We don't have a winner today. You oh, guys are a draw. What did I miss? Sean Bean Sean has died Bean. on screen 24 I didn't times. Know that. Jack Lemon was the Oscar winner okay. who was the inspiration for Gil Gunderson. Did you get Tim Curry? No. Gender-bending yeah, actor. Brie Larson as the Brie titular. Bree Larson. Oh, oh, Marvel superhero. You got Chuck Berry Carrot Top. You got all the other ones. So six to six. It's a draw. Nicely done, my friend. Well you done too. Nicely oh, done, man.
1: Now I'm hungry. And if you're hungry for more, you can head over to at This Was a Thing Pod on Instagram or www.thiswasathing. What else? Oh, Patreon. 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 Anything else, Ray? I think that's it. Awesome. We will see you all next time. Send a little clip of you singing some "Bad Out of Hell" for us. Ooh.
2: Thanks for listening to this was a thing and a big thanks to the folks that keep this show running our editor Daniel Cutcut Schwartzberg our composer Billy better than DC Reesey our social media director Gabe hashtag Crawford our graphic designer Natalie's nothing's too graphic to Savia and finally our games coordinator Mark the shark Schroeder. If you liked what we did today, make sure to head on over to iTunes to rate and review us. The more stars you leave us, the more love we feel. Hey, speaking of love, show us some social media love. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at ThisWasAThingPod, and Facebook we are ThisWasAThingPodcast. Reach out, we'd love to hear from you. And if you really liked what we did today, head on over to Patreon.com and become one of our sponsors, and you'll get access to special episodes, interviews, and merch. That's Patreon. Search ThisWasAThing and support us so we
0: can keep doing this show.